and welcome to Talkie Talk, the podcast for the media by us. My name is Brent, and I'm here today with TJ. Hey, Chris. Hello. And I got myself a David. Hello. We're all going to be trying our best together to hold the dark for this podcast, <laughs> which works out because <laughs> coincidentally, our homework was Hold the Dark, the new 2018 movie from director Jeremy Saulnier. 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 It would be less interesting if it was just Saulner. Saulner. <laughs> Uh, from his, uh, it's written by his frequent collaborator, Macon Blair. Blau. Blair. Macon. It's a great listen so far. <laughs> um, Don't you love hearing us vamp on names? Yeah. <laughs> in the international audience now. <laughs> this was uh, Chris's assignment. Do you want to give us your intro to the movie? A little plot synopsis? Sure. It's a pretty simple plot when you just break it down to not on the screen more complicated once you get into the details but essentially it is a woman living in the real alaska out in a village with a bunch of native americans and her child goes missing she says wolves took the child and calls jeffrey wright's character you know i'm bad with character names so that's what i'm just gonna say cole cole or core core is his last name core yeah i mean they call him core right yeah so she calls she calls him. Uh, he's he somehow has a reputation as the wolf guy. He's an author. Yeah, but he's a wolf whisperer. A wolf yeah. I think he like spent time with living with wolves yeah. or something. So call him. And she basically right? she she calls him to investigate. Meanwhile, her being Riley Keough's character, uh, her husband comes home from the war after being injured in combat and finds goes kind of on a on a killing spree and. Tries to find her because he suspects that she did it. So that's basically it. And then he—it's Jeffrey Wright pursuing the two, the two of them. So that's how it goes. The local sheriff who is also uh, looking into things, and that leads us to the big set piece of the movie. Right. The um, most—it's like—it's like playing chess with a single checker. It just doesn't make any sense why it's there, <laughs> but it is—it's cool. I, I feel it's like really well shot. I feel like it's there because they had it, like Jeremy, they had the budget to do it. Yeah. So we have all this Netflix money. Let's burn it all <laughs> with a ten-minute machine gun fight. <laughs> we thought it was going to be burned up with uh, CGI wolves, but it turns out the real wolves were okay. <laughs> <laughs> they were obedient. So, Chris, what did you think of the movie? That was all right. I didn't think it was like particularly good or bad. I mean, I finished it about an hour and a half ago, so. Everybody who's listening, keeping that in mind. Yeah. It's one of those movies where I was just like, eh, didn't feel like a waste of time. That's about the best thing I can say about it. David? I was not really a big fan of it. I didn't really see the the point of the whole thing. It just, um, it feels utterly and completely humorless and bleak. Which is fine sometimes, but... The rest of his movies haven't been that way. Jeremy Saulnier and Macon Blair's movies. But uh, this is the first one where like that bleakness felt like a obstacle. Like trying to be trying to get serious by being so bleak and it made it super unenjoyable for me. Yeah, like I don't feel at home in this world anymore. It was at least like hilarious at times. Yeah, and you know, Blue Ruin has some moments and uh Green Room. Green Room's also, quite funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's very dark humor, but it's it is funny. And this had none of that really. Not even an attempt at humor. Yeah, and the the characters I, I read some review I don't think it was Roger Ebert. It was some review where it's like the three main characters of Jeffrey Wright, Alexander Sarsgaard and Riley Keough almost seem like zombies. Mm-hmm. They're just like overwhelmed with darkness and the only characters that are kind of alive are Chion and like the uh, the happy uh, police chief who gets arrowed in the neck yeah they're the only ones who actually feel like human beings rather than like I don't know do you think it's trying to make a, a statement about the Alaskan environment that they're in like they are literally enveloped by darkness for most of their lives if they do they don't earn it I agree and if it is what's who cares who cares <laughs> like what's the point of that right if there was a over like overarching theme, I thought it would have been more of like the animalistic nature of humans. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, the wolves didn't fucking matter. Yep. 
So, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, so, why wolves if that's not in there for some reason? My quick thoughts on the movie were that I thought it was, uh, like, the scenery was very beautiful. I thought it was, like, a pretty movie to look yeah. at. Oh, yeah. Filming in Alaska is cheating. We've, yeah. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> Any cold climate looks, like, amazing, especially at, like, sunset and sunbreak and all that stuff. And I yeah. thought it was also well acted, particularly by Jeffrey Wright. I thought Jeffrey Wright did a very good job and made this movie more watchable than it probably deserved to be. He's generally great yeah. in what he does. He's also the type who can make bad movies watchable. Like, uh, for example, one of his earliest movies, first time I ever noticed him, was uh, the Sam Jackson remake of Shaft. Mm. Oh, nice. Jeffrey Wright's uh, the way over-the-top villain, and he's fantastic in it. Fun. Um, he's in... Probably the like movie that the populace would say is the worst movie that I think is great, which is M. Night Shyamalan's uh, Lady in the Water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he plays the accountant. Yeah, he's really good in that. And uh, he played Beatty? Beatty or the, Wires, I forget which one. In the Hunger Games yeah. movies. And then Dr. Narcisse from... His, his, his big breakout role was Boardwalk playing Dr. Narcisse. Only mm. kings understand each other. He's <laughs> very good in that. And then I've only seen the first few episodes, but I mean, he's one of the leads, right, in Westworld? I think I think that he is arguably the lead. Okay. He's definitely the lead of season two. Um, yeah, he's he's the male lead. Um, I do love him, but I don't really see anything that's different about this performance than like his character in Westworld, to yeah. be honest. So it, it kind of reminded me a little bit, not to this extreme, but I argue that like Yorgos Lanthimos movies should never get acting Oscars because... They're not really acting. Yeah. I mean, they are, but they're they're being directed to do nothing. It's just really hard to impress me. I don't know. That could be a, a me thing. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not good enough to recognize good acting when it's so deadpan. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. look, this movie was just like... It felt like reading the script at times. <laughs> yeah. Good, good evaluation. I, I, I did, though... I, I did like Riley Keough and Skarsgård's performances also, though. Yeah. Um, you know, Skarsgård, who I've seen through all of True Blood, is this, like, like, that's his his demeanor there mostly, but then he's got these bursts of energy and over-the-top acting in that, and I like him playing, I mean, he's a Skarsgård. They play that, like, subdued passion really well. True. A, a whole family of lunatics. I was just having a tough time getting an end to his character and Riley Keough's character at all, just because of how... Not present, they are. So I, I thought. I, I thought actually, my I think the best scene in the movie because I I was this was when the movie still intrigued me, and I was really like, whoa, where's this gonna go? The Iraq stuff. No, was her, when uh, was her scene where shit, oh, the naked shit gets, scene. Shit gets weird <laughs> when like Cora wakes up and sees her naked with that weird mask on, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, okay, this is more than a wolf movie. Yeah. It's actually not a wolf movie at all. <laughs> Man, <God. laughs> yeah. But uh I thought that was when the movie started picking up steam and then it just lost it all completely after that for me. Um none of the a lot of the I feel like the choices of the characters made made no sense for the majority of the movie. Which has to be bad for us to say that cuz we're like anti that we argument. Def- we defend that. Yeah. <laughs> what was the point of Riley Keough calling Core? She wanted to frame him for the murder. I thought she just wanted a, a, a witness, someone who, I don't know. I think she considers herself a wolf. <laughs> That's a really fucking good question, David. It's I think. the first thing that happens in the movie. <laughs> it's like the catalyst for the entire story. It's like, oh, uh, that actually makes no sense. I, mean, I think she tried to frame him for the murder. She gets him to stay in her house. And then she disappears, and then he goes into the for basement. murder of the kid? Yeah, because she, unlo- she unlocks the cellar. But the kid had been gone for so long when she called him, right? Yeah. Kid was already missing, and he goes directly to the police, and they're like, yep, yeah, it was her that did it. <laughs> See, I think she wanted to be, I think one of the characters says it, I think she wanted to be punished, but then she r- runs and goes on the lamb. Maybe she had a change of heart or something. I don't know. I was having a lot of trouble with character, like getting into these characters and what their motivations were for the decisions right. they were making. Like why Skarsgård just starts killing everybody? Yeah. Well, and why <laughs> his his big revenge? Uh, like at least I thought. 
I didn't think it made a lot of sense, but at least I, I could understand what they were going for with him, like, just plowing through everybody trying to get to her. And then he gets to her, and she takes off the mask, and he's like, all is forgiven. Let's be weird wolf cultists yeah. together. At the same point with his early motivation, everyone's trying to get her and find her and bring her in. Like, that's what he's trying to do as well. Like, they're not at odds, really. Him and yeah, any true. townsperson. The one thing that's <laughs> yeah, his ulterior motive is he wants the body of his son because they have to bury it or do the ceremony at the end. But it really wouldn't matter when he does that. If they bury him, he could just get him later. He doesn't have to really kill the coroner, necessarily. I think maybe with him... And, I, and I'm certainly not trying to defend the character as a well-written character, but I think maybe he sees it as vengeance being his and his alone. Why, uh, no one else is, no one else has a right to it. Hmm. Especially after he, he sort of sees himself as the arbiter of, of justice from what happened in that scene in Iraq. Yeah. And I, I can, I'll admit maybe I, I missed the boat on some stuff for this movie. Cause I, I feel that way. Maybe there's some other parts of the movie that I shouldn't get. It's very, it is very elliptical there's... movie. I was going to ask about the, why the. Middle Eastern War stuff was in it, but that kind of gives me an answer, I guess. Well, I think that's a, it's a loose tie-in, I think. I think well, I watched reason- it and I was like, okay, like, weird anti-hero character? Is that what this guy's going to be? And then, like, 30 minutes later, I was like, nope. <laughs> Another villain. Yeah. Um, I think the honest I, answer it, for why that scene's in the movie is because, again, Netflix budget... <laughs> Let's let's Maybe shoot it's like a rack scene. It's like a mystery it. thing where you think it's one thing. It's like you're this disappearance and this mystery with the wolves, and he's coming in, and he's a Iraq war guy who's anti-hero. And then the rest of the movie is kind of the not the bait and switch, but kind of that where it's it's not really about the wolves, it's not really about the disappearance, and it's not really about being an anti-hero. You can keep going about things it's not about. I yeah. feel like <laughs> it's not really about Jeffrey Wright either. I think, I think the one thing that it is about is the theme that you identified early. It's that humans are animals. And that you, you can answer all of these questions with that as the theme. I just don't like it. Right. Like, why does Riley Keough kill the kid and call Core? Well, because they say at some point in the movie that, that, that wolf mothers kill their young. You know? Well, that, they, they found that. He finds that den where they're eating their babies, right? Yeah. And so, like, <clears throat> that explains that. Like, why does Alexander Skarsgård go on a killing spree? Because he's a wild animal. Like... He's being territorial. I mean, I, I feel strongly that is the most prominent theme of the movie, but I'm with you. It's I don't think it's enough. No. Right. To, to do this movie. The rest of it is like, everyone act, have serious face, and we'll have beautiful cinematography, and we're going to stretch to a movie length. Yeah. I've never seen Jeffrey Wright not have serious face. Because <laughs> if you're going to go to the, if you're going to do the theme of like, all people are animals or whatever... Then you need to do it well enough to like make me question like is is that inside me? Because Am I an animal? Right, like that's <laughs> a, that's what a good movie would do, and this failed to do that, which is why we we're all just so yeah, sort no, of disconnected. I, I definitely feel like there are movies where that's not the most prominent theme that do it better. If that makes sense, I would agree. Like even like Fargo and Pulp Fiction have that theme better than this one did. Mm-hmm. You know, The Jungle Book. That's <laughs> yeah, it's too dark. <laughs> Nothing happens. <laughs> so what what happened at the end? Did you do you guys understand what happened at the end? I was kind of waiting for somebody to tell me, honestly. <laughs> in the cave, in in all of it, I feel like there was no real resolution. Oh, the yeah. cave where they get the body, and then the movie ends. Well, they're like they're happy, and Wright is alive. Yeah, they patch him up, and then it ends. It's is, just like oh, it, you just stopped the story. Is it just me, or was there a little little bit of a... Maybe I'm just picking up on nothing. Was there a little element of they wanted the body so they could bring him back? Because Sarsgaard asks him, like, you know, I'm here to help. Can you bring back my boy? And he's like, then never mind. And then he, it's not a joke to him. <laughs> and they get his body, and they're... I don't know. Was there a, yeah, something I, there? I picked up on that, too. Again, I don't think it was handled all I that like well. it's just as likely they just wanted to, like, eat him. Yeah, I, I have no idea what that. That's what I'm saying. Like, I didn't know what I was supposed to think about, and it's so shitty of an ending yeah. that if it was like the ending doesn't matter. If it was supposed to be one of those, 
Like, I guess they fucking accomplished it. Yeah. The thing about, like, the, the humans are real animals... I just go, go back to how unsatisfying that theme is in the movie, because the only people that are really animals are the people that are these others. Like, either these wolf demons or these people that are, um, you know, traumatized by loss. I feel like everything in this movie, like, well, like, the plot and everything that is an attempt at anything logical in the movie is all just retconned from an original idea of, let's go to Alaska, let's involve wolves, I want to do a big machine gun fight, and, (laughs) you know. Would it blow your guys' mind uh, to know that this is actually based on a novel? There's a full novel this is based on. I can't It feels like such a a cobbled-together thing, but it's based on a linear... Narrative that is that does blow my mind. I, I would imagine that, that the novel is better than this. <laughs> I fucking hope so. I mean, I didn't think like I said I didn't think it was awful, but no, I just I, I think the aesthetics of the movie bring it up a bit, but the story and thinking about the story <clears throat> gets infuriating after a while, and it brings it down. I like like everybody in the movie too. Mm-hmm. Really love Jeffrey Wright, like Alexander Alexander Sarsgaard. Mm-hmm. Really like it. Riley Keough. She pops up in all these things here and there, and she's so fun, and she's just mirthless in this. And obviously, like the filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. The guy, the guy who plays the sheriff, I thought is he was he was the closest to like upbeat in this movie, mm-hmm. and the. All the acting from the Native Americans was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Especially my the, my my standout scene, my favorite scene, is the conversation between the sheriff and the dude in the house before the machine gun fight starts. Oh yeah, his, his, name, his name is Chion, I think. Okay, it's like it's it's all of it's everything. It's that conversation that like you're watching, and it's all the things they're not saying to each other. Mm-hmm. That was really good. There's a. Again, I know we aren't Reedy Read, but there's a good uh, <laughs> review on Goodreads, which is essentially like the letterbox of mm-hmm. books. But this guy says, uh, he's talking about Russell Corr, wolf expert, who once shot a wolf and spent the rest of his life feeling guilty over it, invites him to come try to kill the wolf that did it. He comes, but he's not really sure why. And since he doesn't want to kill any wolves, I'm not sure why either. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good. So he's also vaguely suicidal, but no one cares, including the long-suffering reader. <laughs> um, so I, I read because uh, I also tried to pick up the pieces that this movie scattered <laughs> across my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went online and I read some crazy theories. Um, did you guys pick up at all that that <clears throat> Skarsgård and Keo were brother and sister? What? No, no. <clears throat> so apparently, there was something that we were supposed to pick up. The book, I guess, mentions it more uh, directly, but they scan past a photo, and it's uh, Mom with Riley Keough and young Skarsgård, both like small, blonde-haired, blue-eyed children. And I thought they were husband and wife. <laughs> I mean, I think honest. they are that, too. They're both. Oh. It's, it's, again... Irrelevant? Yeah. If you, if you are... Yeah, if the filmmakers need us to... Pause on the front, some freeze frame of uh, of some picture in a background for us to understand a fundamental aspect of the movie, especially like when it's when it's it's when he first is in her house because for some reason she doesn't give a shit if Jeffrey Wright starts like walking around and just like picking up all of her belongings and like inspecting them, but he he looks at that photo and that is such a Bernard that doesn't look like anything to me moment right. for the viewer like it's. I don't know. I, I, I read that and I, I, I stopped reading theories and, and explanations because I was yeah. like, it's bullshit. Even if that's canon, it's like, what would it matter? Well, it, right. it speaks, it, it lends more Probably credence. Probably the animal. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Because, you know, incestuous relationships within a wolf pack aren't uncommon. I would say they're common. Even. So, I, I don't know. I, I like Maybe that lends to the theme, but I still don't think it, it doesn't reinforce it in a way that's meaningful. Mm-hmm. Why do you think Alexander Sarsgaard spares Kor in the cave? Because he's a wolf guy. Because he spared the wolves in the middle of the movie. Mm. In, like, the end of Act 1. <clears throat> yeah, that's kind of what I assumed. Like, he had such respect for the wolves that he didn't deserve to die. He just deserved to be shot in the chest. Because Skarsgård and Kyo's characters... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Skarsgård and Kyo's characters think that they're wolves. Or, 
I mean, I think that there's some hints that they, like, become wolves at some point. Oh, I like you. <laughs> I'm just going to shoot you in the chest and leave you to die in the Alaska right. woods. Because, like, I have respect I want to give you a chance. <laughs> I also felt like I spoiled myself, but in a, in a non-traditional way. I was trying to look up who all else was in the movie to get Kelly pumped up to watch it with me. You know, Skarsgård normally just does the trick. She's a big Eric Northman fan. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like looking through the cast and then I see someone's name credited as Werewolf. And I was like, oh shit, I spoiled the movie for myself. There's going to be werewolves. And then I watched the movie and there are no werewolves. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I don't know. <laughs> that was the character's last name was Werewolf. <laughs> it's like James reading werewolf. the, I read the, the wiki plots for like horror movies that I know I'll never watch. Mm-hmm. I do the same thing. look real shitty. But it's, I always laugh at the movies like in Strangers where they just give names to the people with masks. It's like, Babyface and Bad Guy. <laughs> it's like, man, this is stupid. I really hope they call them that in that dumb fucking movie. It's Babyface! <laughs> it's Bad Guy's back! So I would vote no to inducting this movie into the Taco Fan. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. I did, I did, again, not to just completely shit on it. Uh, filming Alaska is cheating. Sure. I agree with that. But... Uh, it was beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful enough to, to get it out the two and a half for me, I think. Beautiful. I think it sets the tone very well. Score is really good. The score and, is really good. Score is great. kind of getting that. But once the table's set, there's no meal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Chris and I watched Halloween, and I guess we can kind of transfer to some of the stuff we we're going to talk about after talking about Hold the Dark. But we watched the new Halloween on uh, this past Friday when it saw it on opening night. And even the additional scores were, I thought, really, really incredible in the new Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, and they brought Carpenter back to write new stuff on mm-hmm. top of the old stuff. Um, but I realized scores in horror movies are generally more popular and better. I wonder if they're easier to write. I just don't know enough about that that talent. I think that, I want to preface by saying I also don't know anything about writing a score. Right. Um, but <laughs> well, I would... <laughs> But I would think it has to be harder because it is it is an extra muscle that you're flexing that you don't have to with some traditional, not traditional, but like with dramas or comedies, like it, it is it is an added ask. Yeah, it's not, I, mean, I guess it is harder to create a score for something like like Dunkirk, which I thought was one of the best scores I've heard in a you know recent movie. Mm-hmm. Um it's harder to, for a movie like that to have a score that you get stuck in your head. But I was just thinking, like, man, like Jaws, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Shining. The scores are incredible. Yeah. But we were just and talking they, about Suspiria before we started. Suspiria? Yes, yeah, Suspiria's crazy. My uh, cheating thought is I think it's probably, you know, obviously I've not read a movie score. <laughs> Fingers crossed still. But I think it's probably both easier and harder. Easier in the fact that uh, horror scores seem to me seem to me to be much more spare and minimal. Sure, and that's also harder because you got to do a lot with less. You know, maybe just one synth or like just a string section versus like a whole orchestra or a whole like you know, right? Hans Zimmer timpanis and stuff. Well, and you get you know, Cass and I were talking after we dropped off Chris and Kelly after the movie, and I was like, I wonder, like, because John Carpenter's not like this huge composer or anything. No, he wrote the score to Halloween because they didn't have money to hire someone to write a score. And it's a fantastic score. It's yeah. a good little riff. Um, and I was like, I wonder if he just like kind of struck gold on accident by not being like a, I know he's a musician, but not being like a, you know, seasoned composer. Yeah. Uh, and Cassandra's immediate response was just like, John Williams wrote Jaws. Like, you know, that's just, yeah. sometimes that's what the movie calls for. Yeah. I don't know if, most horror movies do that more and don't call for these big, like, sweeping, like, Marconi pieces. You know what I mean? Well, I also, I, I also, I mean, the emotions that you are trying to portray in a horror movie are oftentimes some, you don't have to lead them or have, uh, like, mood set by the music. Like, you can, and I think great horror scores do, but, you know, like, a conversation between two people falling in love takes a completely different tone if it is scored to different music. Like, it is... Like, just take a scene out of a romance that you've never seen and it's two people talking and they could be 
falling in love for the first time, depending on the score, or, you know, they could be old lovers, like, rekindling a flame. Like, that's, that, that's I think, the power of it. But with a horror movie, it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty plain what's happening. Yeah, you, you're saying the score doesn't help illuminate anything, right? Like, and so it just it it's more adding to the to the pot than it is, yeah. Kind of, it's it's not as much a key, key ingredient. And I'm not taking away from, you know, a great horror movie score or a great score at all. I just think that it, it serves a different purpose in horror movies. I agree, it's I a different it, ty- different type of score. That's well said. Yeah, I think it, it can go both ways though. Like a good horror score. It's, it's kind of a more limited series of emotions. It's either trying to provoke like anxiety, dread, or something. But great horror scores also lull you when yeah. you think the danger is over. Kind of droning. Yeah, yeah, like a drone or incorporate like uh, um, sound design for for that you know same kind of tone for like a sweeping romantic thing. They can unsettle you just as much as the visuals do. Right. Um, and I kind and, of if I had use show notes more I would have said this the first time but I, I think what I, something I realized is when I brought up Jaws and Halloween at the same time those minimalistic scores are great for those villains that are just like kill yeah. that, that's it yeah, you know what I mean it's a simple right villain yeah uh, by the way talked about it on the watch list um, but I watched Gareth Edwards new movie that's on Netflix The Apostle uh, holy shit horror movie score uh, so Gareth Edwards directed The Raid and The Raid 2 and like just a bunch of kung fu movies so it's basically a kung fu movie score there's like big drums all the time and it's about a, it's about a cult and it is really good um, <laughs> probably like the best thing out of the movie and it's even got Dan Stevens going full like Legion Dan Stevens at times fun yeah I also remember really loving the uh, the thing modern horror scores are you know, you're touching on something they're really fun like, uh, It Follows has a great score. Great score. score. I still need to see it. Huh? I still need to see it. It is. You seen it? No. It, it. Shorty. I give it some credit. It and, like, a movie that I wasn't as big of a fan of is, I think everybody here has seen it. I'm not sure if David has, but, uh, Baba Duke was just before It Follows. Yeah, I've seen it. Um, I didn't love it as much as a lot of people did. I thought the themes in that movie were a little over the top, or, not over the top, but a little pit, nail in the head, kind of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I do think that kind of started this resurgence of really great horror movies over the past like two years. Yeah, I mean, do we do we give the credit all to Jason Bloom? He's part <laughs> of it, man. He's part of it. I mean, even like Chris oh. and I went and saw Happy Death Day, and it was a fucking riot, man. Yeah, and and we got a trailer for Happy Death Day Two or looked, Happy Death Day to You. Looked hilarious. Man. Yeah, it looked fantastic. Like I got I got legitimately excited for it. We went and saw that movie on Halloween. Last with year. yeah, last year with like Al and the girls, yeah, and went went with because we all had movie pass and it was just like it'll be free. It's a scary movie. It's only one plan on whatever day we decided to carve pumpkins, and we went and we left and it was just like oh man, it's so fun. It was just so fun. Yeah. Do you think Hold the Dark is a horror movie proper like that? Do you consider I mean, that? I think it trades we, looking like it. Like listen, fifty episodes ago when we talked about what makes a horror movie. Like we can we can sit and we can right you know try and carve this jack o' lantern again. I say unequivocally yes. I think it does all the things right for a thriller, suspense, and I think those are a subgenre of horror. I don't know. I guess I guess <laughs> I guess for me it uh, I don't know. It didn't strike me in the same way that horror movies do. I, I don't. Yeah. To me, it's it more a bad as, horror movie. As, as something like like, uh, and uh, obviously we can all use different labels for the same things sometimes. But uh, this, for me, struck me more like uh, Mandy did. Except, what if Mandy were just horribly executed? Yeah, I think Mandy's definitely horror too. Yeah. I mean, when you when you when you put half naked people at like the tree line in the dark and put wolf mask on them, you're trying to be horrifying. I think. There's no other reason to do that. There's a weird thing with the main character, though. I don't know if this is what I would define horror movies by, but I never really felt like um, Jeffrey Wright was ever in danger. The violence was arbitrary, but happened to people that didn't matter. Sure. I think they had a fist bump contract. Because Skarsgård <laughs> goes like, hey, Wolfman, uh, right before he goes, he starts murdering people, and he like turns around, extends his hand, and he goes like, 
thanks. And I think that for some reason that makes Jeffrey Wright invulnerable. Mm-hmm. Skarsgård has declared that like Jeffrey Wright's a cool guy, but I could never, I never got the sense that the movie was wanting me to be horrified. Like by any, like I, I just got the sense that it was just like, whoa, look at this, like this movie's crazy or something like that with some of the, the turns uh, in it. I think the masks were definitely there to scare you. Especially that long shot in the fireplace where it was clear that she had removed the mask at the end. Yeah. Not at the end, but before she goes missing mm-hmm. and like comes out all nakey. Yeah. I'm an adult. I talk about nudity <laughs> in a kind of play. Nakey. <laughs> what was the was Get Out of Horror movie to everybody? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So what What was the last uh, Best Picture Dom? Because I don't consider Silence a horror movie. I don't know if y'all do or not. I, I don't either because of the same things like there 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 are scenes it's more of just a standard thriller for me i don't think there are scenes in silence that are there to horror to scare me right that were put in the movie to scare me except for the last 15 minutes it's wearing, definitely the scariest part yeah when she's wearing the night vision goggles walking through yeah it was it was intense <clears throat> only as scary i mean it was intense the same way like the last scene of sicario is which was intense but i wasn't like scared i mean what's what's the difference Oh, like, I don't... Tension I'm that not a character is going to get hurt versus being scared. Oh, uh, no. Horror movies, usually, I'm like, I have an irrational fear for myself after watching them. Oh. Yeah, I, I denote dread in horror movies, where you may not have dread in a thriller. Like, Get Out made me feel uneasy after I watched the movie, and I didn't feel that way with silence. Yeah, it's it's sort of a sliding scale. Like, it's, if... Is it is it more excitement for me to watch? If If so, it's probably more... More of a thriller, or is it more of a if it, if it skews further towards dread, than it does excitement for me? Yeah, like I like, guess I, for Silence, I think that even in her moment of her moment of horror, it's still just exciting to watch that scene because you're just sort of on the edge of your seat to see what happens next. Whereas I don't know, I guess you know it's kind of up to the viewer. It's, it's, it's totally up to the viewer. And Chris Chris makes a good point that we've talked about this last year on the podcast or whatever. But I, it's a good conversation because there's you can poke a hole in any argument where anybody tries to define it. Yeah, sure. Because if you're saying dread, then it's like, well, Whiplash is a horror movie, mm-hmm. which is full of dread. I actually do think Whiplash is more of a horror movie than than Silence. Yes. Yeah that 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 take won't sail with know. like right probably a hundred out of a hundred people. Right. Yeah. But it's, I don't think it's a. It's, it's. I don't think you're wrong. It's that psychological horror. Like to me, that is horrific. I think, uh, and I described it last week on the podcast. I thought uh, Requiem for a Dream is a horror movie. I think that is a that is a much yeah. more acceptable position. <laughs> me too. Okay. See, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that's what people would would say. <laughs> I love that you that you just recently watched it for the first time. <laughs> it's because it's just like. It's so you're naturally going to these takes. Like, yeah. Whenever one of y'all watch on, it's one of my favorite thing about Letterboxd. I can follow y'all. Whenever y'all watch a movie that I think is great for the first time, I'll go back and rewatch it, so I'll be able to talk to you better about it on the podcast. And Brent watched Reckoning for the first time. I was like, "Ooh, wait, fuck that!" <laughs> and watch that goddamn movie again. <laughs> Did you borrow that from me? No, not. I actually bought that from Walmart like 15 years ago. Huh. I think we own it though, which is stupid. Because no, why would no you own returns, that movie? No return policy on Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> really, on any uh, um, Aronofsky? Yeah, any Aronofsky film. They're all one watches. <laughs> I feel like I do want to watch The Fountain again, though. Yeah, I like The Fountain. I liked I, it. I need to watch The Fountain. Speaking speaking of scores, uh, the the Chronos Quartet. That he the they are fantastic on the fountain score. Yeah, fountain score. I think it's the best Aronofsky score. It's so good. I like scores a whole lot. Me too. If we if we just talked about like scores that we like from horror movies, <laughs> I don't know enough about them to talk about them intelligently. But I don't know enough about movies to talk about them intelligently. And for some reason, you guys have put me in this room with you. <laughs> well, another uh, another thing. So it sounds like we were all somewhat disappointed by. Hold the dark. Yes, especially given those those of us who liked his previous, pretty much everything we've seen previously from both of them, from yeah. both Saulnier and Blair. Yeah, and and <clears throat> the only reason why I assigned this movie was because I was definitely going to watch it because you guys got me to watch. I don't feel at home in this world anymore, and I was like, I like that. Mm-hmm. I want to see more. I like this making Blair guy, yeah. I like Jeremy Saulnier. 
And so then I, within like a week, watched Green Room and Blue Ruin. And Bla- Blair directed I'm Not at Home, right? Yes. Yeah. That was his debut. Yes. yes. Okay. And so I was like, cool, sign me up for this movie. And it was disappointing. This movie should have been called White Wolf, right? We're all in agreement of that. <laughs> should have had the color in it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really broke the broke the streak. Green Room. Yeah, this movie definitely left me cold. So you're going to go like the sophomore slump route, even though this wasn't there. Well, yeah, it's, it's actually, his, I haven't seen his directorial debut. It's called... Murder Party? Or yeah, something? Murder Party. I've read the synopsis. It sounds pretty cool. Um, but I haven't... You seen it? I think that's the story about someone shows up to what's supposed to be a... Uh, they think it's going to be like a murder a mystery non-murder thing. party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they ship to what they think is going to be like a murder mystery party, and uh, it turns out that they they start realizing that someone is there to murder them, mm-hmm. and they have to try to survive the murder party, which could be fun. Uh, Kyle even? <laughs> I'm sure that crosses their mind at some point. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but then again, if it has the if it has the uh, the, the the thought put into the plot that hold the dark does that maybe it doesn't cross the that's gonna be one of my it's gonna be up there in like the year end moments of talkie talk like what were your favorite moments of the year it's like oh it's gonna be when David just broke that movie <laughs> from the first scene <laughs> why'd you call call oh no <laughs> no fucking idea <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it makes no fucking sense it also doesn't make any sense even when you are believing her from the be- at the beginning like Wait, why wouldn't she just hire a hunter? It's, why is she hiring a guy who just likes wolves? Especially when there's a guy in town whose name is the Wolf Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he just can't afford him. <laughs> and she does go to him, but after she's killed the boy and is on the run, and why she goes to him? I don't know. Because she's not looking for wolves anymore because she killed the boy. Like, doesn't... Because he, he tells Skarsgård... She had always killed the boy. Yeah. He tells Skarsgård, like, oh, yeah, she was here not was too long ago. Like, we already, like... Was that scene supposed to be earlier? Before we found out that she killed him? Where Skarsgård goes to the wolf hunter? I don't know. Yeah, sorry. I oh, yeah. get back on the... So, I've got a Reddit thread here that, that has um, examples of what people think are bad follow-ups. Or movies where they felt misled. Um, Before we get to it, did anything come to your mind immediately? One of mine, because I liked uh, District 9 so much. Uh, Elysium, is that what it was called? Elysium, yeah. yeah. was pretty fucking awful, I thought. And then you are the biggest Chappie apologist, too. You really like Chappie. I just want somebody else to see it to know if I'm an idiot. I, like, I don't know if it's the Lady in the Water thing again, uh, or if it's actually a good movie. I mean, I thought, yeah, I thought it was... Not brilliant, but I mean, I think it's three and a half stars. I, I thought I was going to be like a dumb movie. I also want somebody to tell me if Dear Antwoord's actually good in it, because I think they both are. Well, there's a, a Reddit user who says, D. Antwoord fucking ruined that film. I mean, <laughs> yes, if they don't know, if you don't know who they are, right? then yeah, they're going to, because they play themselves. If someone, if someone commented like, why is that blonde chick so weird? <laughs> So let's talk about Chappie. Look <laughs> <laughs> at the Chappie Chap Chapcast. Speaking of just a, a tossed off joke, one of a uh, you know more disappointing follow up. It was mid in, mid in his career, in the middle of his career. But man, M Night Shyamalan's Last Airbender. Oh hell yeah! Great source material, and even like his lesser stuff is still interesting. But that's just like ruinous. Yeah. That then uh, after Earth. That he directed? I think so, yeah. That one was... I couldn't finish it. It was so bad. With the Will Smith and Will, little Will Smith. <laughs> Jaden. Yeah, I don't know if... Uh, it's hard for me not to just go to sequels. Sequels are easy to like uh, Some, disappoint. So stuff that we talked about is uh, director Dan Gilroy. Um, you probably immediately know the movies. But uh, directed Nightcrawler, mm-hmm. which is, you know... Another one where we could sit and argue if it's a horror movie or not. And then followed it up with Roman J. Israel Esquire. I never saw Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler is really good. Uh, I really liked it. I, I hear it's great. I didn't... I didn't hate Roman J. Like I probably said I did at the time. Because it, I, I hated the fact that it was like a shove into the ceremony. 
Yeah. That annoyed me more than the actual film being bad. I mean, it was a three-star movie. It was average. I, not to say you need context, but seeing Nightcrawler and how different it is, yeah. a unique voice he has, yeah. to then go middle of the road, like, sure, like epic that, drama. that sure. was the disappointment for me. Yeah. Sure. Is it, it would be like if Yorgos Lanthimos, if his uh, movie that's the favorite, if that came out and was just a straight down the middle biopic about like the Regency, right? You know that would that would be severely disappointing. The same way uh, another one on here, Diablo Cody, went from directing Juno, kind of this this like she wrote Juno, wrote Juno, this like quirky poppy comedy about young people. To Jennifer's body, which is I, I I love when a writer or director is agile and can exist in the different spaces. So yeah, and they can we, when they can execute that really well. I do think Jennifer's body is better than it gets credit for. It's fun. That had moments that I thought were hilarious. Like I mean, the little preppy band being like pretty much double worshippers. Yeah, they all the stuff with they executed Adam Brody. That well. He is really funny. funny. Yeah. Well, guys, Maroon 5. It was really funny. First thing that came to mind for me was uh, after his back-to-back movies of Leon the Professional and The Fifth Element, uh, Luke Bressard. Luke Bress- Bresson has just disappointed consistently <laughs> since yeah. then, I feel like. What's he done? Um, that, uh, Valerian. <laughs> Valerian. Valerian, which was almost a rebound in a way for him. It was fucking trash. <laughs> I hated that movie. <laughs> it was really bad. <laughs> well, his previous movie was Lucy. Oh. I liked Lucy better than Valerian. Yeah, so did I. And I don't like Lucy. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, I don't know. A lot of uh, French kids movies over the years that All right. just never seemed to... Like something called Arthur and the Invisibles. It's like a big thing. Oh, I remember seeing trailers for that. What about Peter Jackson following up Lord of the Rings trilogy and King Kong with The Lovely Bones? I like Lovely Bones. Yeah, but that is definitely a tonal shift for a uh, a an esteemed director. Also, wasn't any like misdirection with what that movie was. It was a huge Mm -hmm. book, right? Yeah, The Lovely Bones. Yeah. I think I probably would rate it higher than King Kong. I would I would honestly say the follow up to King Kong was more disappointing from Lord of the Rings. Oliver Stone's f- Alexander movie is How about that? fucking horrible. I think Alexander I think Oliver Stone is overrated as a director I in ten, general. I tend to agree. I do too. I've ever seen an Oliver Stone. So maybe movie. I, I was never that excited Platoon? to begin with. I've seen Platoon. Yeah, yeah Platoon is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I've never seen it, but Born on the Fourth of July is supposed to be like Actually, very good. Yeah, if you go back, I've, I've, heard, good, I've heard JFK's a good watch. Yeah, JFK's good. Like W was not good. Nah. So what's on the list, Chris? Oh, I'm, I'm I'm it's a Reddit thread, so it's yeah. I'm I'm saying them uh, aloud as it's not actually like a list list. David's got more of those. Um, so people are saying uh, uh, someone says uh. Went from winning Best Picture and Best Director for Dance with Wolves, then follows it up with The Postman, Kevin Costner. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't hate him, but... That's another movie that I'm, I'm Lady in the Water. Yeah. The Postman. I, I think The Postman's good. I think it's a fine movie. Yeah. So I have a uh, top ten list here from a website called thetoptens.com. Oh, that's reputable. Number one, <laughs> you, you can you can count on them to count to ten every one, time. Most, this is the most disappointed movies of all time. Number one, Star Wars: The Phantom Menace. Pretty big build up there. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair assessment. Yeah, that's a weird one. It's hard because it got it gets shot on more as like time moves on. Mm-hmm. Like at the time, it wasn't like this is horrible. People fucking freaked out still. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's a good one. A lot of these are sequels. Number two, Spider-Man 3. I hate that movie. I watched it recently. I don't know why. I think it was because Kelly wouldn't pick something to watch. So I was like, fine, we're watching Spider-Man 3. <laughs> and I sat there and I watched it all. And I watched it waiting for that awful scene of the... like Jazz dance? Jazz dance. Uh, that's, that's like an hour and a half into the movie. <laughs> it is buried in there. Yeah. Uh, number three, The Godfather Part 3. Wait 18 years to do another Godfather. Yeah. I've never seen it. Last End Airbenders on here. Uh, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. I mean, 
that's disappointing follow up. I don't, what though? Yeah, I don't think that any of the the DC EU movies are disappointing follow ups to anything because they're all fucking trash. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really loving this list. A lot of it's just sequels. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom with the Crystal Skull. It just sounds like this list has an agenda that is. Don't go back and write a new story for an old franchise. Stop ruining my childhood. Like this has Twilight on it. <laughs> but if you consider disappointing like follow up, I think Catherine Hardwick did Boys Don't Cry, I think. Like ten years earlier. I don't know. I'm abandoning this list. I don't like it. It's just a bunch of sequels. Yeah. And it's more interesting when there's an original property that I agree. is more disappointing. People are this this person is saying that uh, an example of a of a sophomore slump. And I know that with the Saulnier, it's more of a junior slump. But uh, it says Craig Brewer's follow up to Hustle and Flow, Black Snake Moan. And I read that and I go, I fucking love Black Snake Moan. It's an interesting movie. Yeah. yeah. That movie is wild. Anybody ever seen. When did Sex Lives and Videotape come out, David? 89. Yeah. 89. Anybody ever seen Kafka? No. Soderbergh almost doesn't work for that because he's just so experimental. So, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want right. to do this. Like, these yeah. ones don't count right. because I'm just being weird. <laughs> right. But this is my follow-up. His entire career is going to be a lot of disappointments just because he is not... I mean, what was his his last two movies were, what, that uh, hilarious NASCAR heist movie? Didn't he direct that? Yeah. Yes. His wife wrote it. Logan, oh, it really Logan Lucky and Unsane. Yeah. <laughs> both amazing and both just... Completely fucking different. And I just saw one that blew my mind. Uh, Gus Van Zant. His follow-up from Goodwill Hunting is uh, Elephant. Psycho. Yeah, it's those the shot-for-shot shot remake of Psycho. That's the only movie in the history of films where I will accept the argument. Why was this movie made? <laughs> but that's a damn good question. I don't fucking know. Who did? Uh, who directed uh, Mer- uh, American Beauty? That was his first. Sam Mendes. Well, this, was this second Revolutionary Road? Yes. I would say that's a disappointing follow-up. I mean, yeah, but what well, didn't. That's hard. You know what I mean? Like, I'm pretty sure whatever Greta Gerwig or Jason Peele directs is probably going to be a disappointment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it sucks when you just start off on top. <laughs> it's like, shit. Yeah. There's literally nowhere to go but down. He's directed four, but I'm pretty sure Revolutionary. He no, he directed something in between. Was Sam Mendes' uh, second movie Revolutionary Red? No, it was uh, Road to Perdition. Uh, that's right. Uh, that's right. Just still a disappointment, even though it's a you know really good movie. I love Road to Perdition. I like it too. It's a good movie. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. <laughs> that's so- that's sort of like I think how we're gonna see uh, the movie from this year, Alex Garland's movie this year. What's it called? Uh, Annihilation. Annihilation, which is a good movie, but I loved it. Not for me on par with uh, iRobot. <laughs> Ex Machina. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't as good as Ex Machina to me, but it was it was very good. For a second, there, I was like, "You didn't direct iRobot." <laughs> that was Isaac Asimov. <laughs> <sighs> but. So yeah, so we would not recommend seeing Hold the Dark. <laughs> right? Don't ever believe in directors, because they can only let you down. <laughs> so that's our conclusion, right? And also, don't believe in actors, because they'll let you down also. Although, you really do get out of those three what you get out of them in every movie. So, if you're looking for a consistent deadpan, you got the trio of actors for that. Deadpan Alley. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so that closes the book on that. Who's got the homework for next week? I think I do. Yeah. Uh, for uh, Spooktober, I wanted to pick a horror movie and wanted to get back to a... Um... We'll decide if it's a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In excruciating detail. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I think I could do Halloween. It's like, I don't think it's a horror movie. <laughs> Murder it's mystery. It's really more of a slasher. Murder <laughs> mystery. <laughs> um... Yeah, I'm going to do a, uh, a film stream, streaming on Hulu, I think. I haven't seen it in a long time. I think I've only seen the uh, the cable TV version of it, so I think that there's a lot more wet gore ahead for me. Mm. Another great wet gore movie. Um, 1986's David Cronenberg remake of The Fly. Ooh, I've never seen it. Oh, cool. Yeah. 
and I'm, I'll be very surprised to see how it uh, turns out. Is it a... Uh, Confirmed it is on Hulu. Is it a TOF submission? Yeah, TOF. You need to talk of fame for cool. it. Cool. Fun. Excellent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a while. I, I was telling David outside when he found it that I don't think I've ever seen it beginning to end, mm-hmm. like in one sitting. Um, Who's the little female lead then? Gina Davis. Gina Davis. Trying to get her second entry into the uh, talk of fame. Yep. Ooh. After Beetlejuice. Yep. And maybe uh, director David can have a another director David buddy. <laughs> like David Lynch, David Cronenberg is very singular. It'd be interesting to talk about his, uh, you know... Body of work. Is that his peak kind of discussion? Yeah. Well, cool. Yep. Exciting. Watch right. the fly. Get horrified. And the 86 remake, not the Horrfly. like 57 original. I've never seen it. I can't vouch for it. It is the one where it goes like, help me, yeah. help me. Where the fly can talk. <laughs> As a fly. Yes. And he's a fly size. Yes. Anyway. So. Don't, okay. don't do any of that. <laughs> Gonna watch Superfly. <laughs> um, watch whatever you want, man. All right, take us out, Breezy. That's it. And uh, thanks for joining us today. This is Talk to Talk podcast for the media by us. Check out our website, mediabyus.com. <laughs> uh, please uh, join our Facebook groups because you're on Facebook anyway. Uh, games by us, movies by us, TV by us. You can. Uh, Send us an email at mediabias.gmail.com. You can subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating. That would be super helpful. You can tweet tweet with us at the Media by Us. And last but not least, we want to thank the Willow Walkers for the intro music. Willow Walkers! And we would like to thank Burifa. Burifa! Burifa may have an album coming out soon. Burifa has an album coming out soon. And the Willow Walkers' new single just hit Spotify. So... Go check that out. We'll drop them a link to the Spotify. Sure. In the, in the show notes. Yeah. It'll be somewhere on yeah. the post. Yeah. So it's really great. Thanks, guys. Yep. Bye, everybody. Bye. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know All the things